So today I would like to first talk a little bit about uh, being on retreat and the first day of a retreat. And even for the people who have been on retreat before, in a way you can never know. You know, if you're going to arrive here and be bright and everything go well, or you come here and you feel very sleepy, or you come and you have lots of thoughts, one can never know. Because, I mean, this is one of the very important teachings of the Buddha about conditionality. The fact, I think sometimes we hope that if we do enough meditation, it will make us go above conditions. <laughs> so one day we'll end up in this little beautiful cloud, you know, really nice and puffy and smelling fragrant, you know, and we kind of on this little board cloud and, oh, you're in trouble, never mind, you know, <laughs> I'm fine up here. I don't know. I, but I don't think that's the idea. <laughs> I think the idea of conditionality is really, I mean, when the Buddha talked of being unconditioned, he's talking of being unconditioned by greed, hatred, and ignorance. That's what the unconditioned is about. You know that somewhere there is unconditionality and this is great. And also when um, in one sutta, a wonderful little sutta, not often mentioned, Stephen is likely to mention it at some point. There is this, this is about karma. We hear a lot about karma and rebirth, cause and effect. And so there is this fellow who says to the Buddha, everything is karmic fruit. Meaning that everything you experience is because of you, this life or past life. And the Buddha said, no, 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 you overextend yourself. There are eight reasons why things happen to you. And the first one, bile disorder, next one, wind disorder, phlegm disorder, the three together disorder. So basically the, four, the first four is biological. What happened to the body? Physiological. Then you have weather, you know. Then you have accident. Then you have heedlessness. And then you have the karmic fruit. So the Buddha is saying certain conditions, I mean, we cannot change. <coughs> certain conditions happen. Because of certain conditions, we are happy. Because of other conditions, we are unhappy. And a lot of the conditions, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, we have some little mastery of certain things. But, you know, I mean, I had a, I had a lovely friend. And recently, I saw him playing the violin. As, uh, you know, he was like a little the star, and he played the violin. And I was so moved brought to tears. Because this was, he played the violin, I saw him in May, and last September, a car ran into their car, 
the guy was drunk and etc etc and he ended up in hospital he could have died but for medical technology so we could not have known that he would have such accident and i know him he's like five and then suddenly to see him totally like after this terrible accident he could play the violin and it was amazing so conditions you can never know bad condition somebody is drunk ran into you good condition behind you there was a fire firemen and there was a nurses passing by and they save you so you never know which condition we are going to come with and so part of the meditation process is not to be above condition but is actually to see conditions to discover conditionality not I am going to know everything because a lot of it is mysterious what happens but at the same time not to fight with condition but more creatively engage with them and so when we come on retreat when we booked we had all kind of ideas and all kind of circumstances and when we arrive sometimes the circumstances change or sometimes thing happen you never know and so in a way to see that we're not trying to create a specific state what is called the number 10 gold star meditation state but what we're trying to do is cultivate the path of ethics meditation and wisdom so that we can creatively engage with conditions inner conditions and outer conditions that that's what this is about so when we come on the first day of the retreat and the second day and the third day it's the same i mean you have a little less conditions but you still have some you know you get hungry sleepy tired pain so that's what i like to talk a little bit about you know the first day on the retreat as i mentioned before we can have sleepiness and so you see it and it's kind of a, it's kind of like you know really to uh, i mean i had two sitting like this today where i'm you know i'm here i'm here yes i'm here and then suddenly hmm, i was not here <laughs> okay you know it's <laughs> so it's kind of and personally I, that's what happened that you know sometimes you are bright all the time and sometimes you don't and so it's kind of how can i creatively engage with the fact that i feel sleepy right now and what i know the thing is that you know it's uh, what i'll talk about later on is what i know is that it will pass that's one thing i can tell you for sure during this retreat things will pass you know good meditative state will pass difficult meditative state will pass things will come and go and so the thing is to see that the coming and going the creatively engaging with it and so we have as i said in the question two two ways in a way to deal with these different conditions for example sleepiness we can do the best we can which is generally 
You try to keep the back straight, you open the eyes, you look up a little toward the ceiling, possibly ask who is sitting, who is listening, and then try to keep as awake as you can. That's one way to do it. Another way is to wait for it to pass. Another way is to walk briskly before you come for the sitting, because generally it makes you feel energized. So it's kind of seeing a little what is it that is going to help me in terms of condition. And then you have the other aspect is a technique of meditation itself. Like if we feel sleepy and we generally pay attention to the breath, possibly as it's quite kind of something which makes us quiet, it might not help with the sleepiness. But that's for you to see. If I watch the breath, does it make me quiet? And then if I'm sleepy, does it make me more sleepy? Might it be better to do the listening to the sound? But then if I'm sure like last night, I was hoping that today we would have a bit of last night, you know. Last night we were sitting there, there was all this, the rooks and the songs, and I thought, wow, you know, that's a lot of sounds for Gaia House. <laughs> so I had hope today, I great hope today, that for the listening meditation, the rooks would be with us. But I think they've gone with the music. I don't know what happened. So it's true that today there was not much to listen to, so that possibly did not help. Tomorrow we'll do the loving kindness and sometimes to repeat the phrases can wake us up or to do the body scanning. So I think it's also either we are with the state and we creatively engage that way, or we can try to bring different things and see if I use a different tool of awareness, is that going to be more brightening? Because I think there are some meditation, some technique which are more calming, and some which are a little more brightening. Toward the end of the week, we'll do what is this. And although the Koreans can sleep anywhere, anytime, even if they do what is this, I think for us, generally, it keeps us awake, you know, to just, what is this? What is this kind of? as a brightening effect. So we can play a little with these elements. Then you have another thing which was mentioned was agitation. You know, sometimes you sit in meditation. That I think once we, to me this is one of the, once we reach this stage, is when we sit in meditation and actually it's fine. No matter what state happened, it's okay agitation, this, that, and another. Even agitation is not so agitated because there is not that kind of like a trigger element. But if we have not done so much meditation, then you can feel this, like sometimes you see it on your cushion, it's like there is a, you are on an ant ear, it's kind of, you know? And so it's kind of how I can go from feeling, I have all the time in the world, and yes, I am here, and it's fine to, I want to get out. I mean, I remember when I first started to meditate in Korea, I just would sit there and, ah, oh, I have to get out. And then it took me some time to actually, I got used to it, and my teacher told me to bear beyond strength, and I thought, okay, I'm not going to die of this. And then it became much easier. But it's true, sometimes you, oh, 
And how then actually being aware of the breath can be helpful. Or just being aware of the posture also can be helpful. So again, it's kind of seeing, what, 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 how can I be with this? How can I flow with this? How can I accompany this? And then you have discomfort. So discomfort uh, that, as we see it through the day several times, uh, I tried, I tried to have an afternoon a little lighter schedule, but still, no, no, no. So I wanted to do 30 minutes, 30 minutes, but you, you prefer 45, so. so be it. So you have 45, and to notice with discomfort, maybe the first sitting in the morning before breakfast, generally you're fine, generally we're quite fine, beginning of the day, yes, yes, yes. And then you have breakfast, and then it's 30 minutes, so it's not too bad. And then you have the next 45, Ooh, I'm a little hungry. And then you have the afternoon, which is generally a little tougher. So it's kind of, how can I be with the 45 minutes? How can I be with some level of discomfort? I think what is very important in terms of the pain or the discomfort is that when you stand up, does the pain, the discomfort goes within three minutes? Or does the pain continue? If the pain continues, you have to find a different posture. Or you have to sit on a chair. This is very important. Then if it goes, and it's because you are sitting for a certain period of time, then there is a question, how can I be with discomfort? And that, what is interesting there is that according to our state of mind, we're going to creatively engage or react to the discomfort. Like, you know, you can have some discomfort and it's just part of what's happening. Or you can have a discomfort and it's like you tense around it. And so again, I think it's also a question you sit, do you have it after five minutes or a 45-minute sit, or do you have it after 30 minutes? Again, you have to be also kind to yourself that you can sit on chair, you can try benches and things like that. Because really, this is not the intention. We know you'll have a little pain. Even me sitting on my chair, I can have a little pain, but generally, it's manageable. And then it's kind of, what do we do? Because in life... We have discomfort, we have physical pain, and what can we do with it? How do we react or creatively engage? Because often it's nearly like the pain is greater than us. We amplify it. And then if we bring it back to what it is, it is a sensation in the knee, in the back. How can I be with this? And also to see how it changes. It comes, it goes. It also changes within itself. So with discomfort, is really, again, creative engagement, but also kindness. Do I need to alternate with a chair? Do I need to be on a chair the whole time? So really for you to look at that. Then you have another thing, which, is, which are thoughts. But personally, I think thoughts are great. I know you might not think so. You sit there and 
you try to be aware of the sounds, and then you somewhere else, Tombuktu, I don't know where, then you come back here, and then you go there. And... But I think what one of the first things to see is that would you try to stop hearing? Hearing and thinking is the same. At one level, it's a sense. We have the ability to hear, we have the ability to think. So thought will arise, like sound will arise. But it's true, we're a little more identified with our thought. And so you can look at thought in two different ways. One, there are information. This is, during this week, if you bring a certain way to meditate, you will see thought. And you will not see thought, oh, they are terrible, but they are thought. What are my thoughts about? What do I think? I think that's fairly important. What do I think? This is one of the Eightfold Paths. Appropriate thinking. And what is appropriate thinking? Non-ill will, non-ill non will, non-aggressive, and renunciation. So the Buddha is saying, it's not about stopping all thought. It's just noticing, if I think this, is it beneficial to myself and others? If I think that, is it beneficial to myself and others? So it's kind of like bringing light onto the thought through the meditative process. And as a great Zen master said, you have a thousand thoughts, you have a thousand times opportunity to come back, to be aware. So thoughts are just part of what makes us human. So when we meditate, we are not fighting with the thought. We're not trying to stop the thought. But it is true, we, we, as I mentioned in the discussion, there are these different levels of thought. What I would say, is the functioning level of thought, creative functioning level of thought, and what we kind of don't need, which is not often so useful, but sp spend a lot of energy doing it, like self-doubt, like commentary, or double-guessing, or all kinds of different things. And so in a way, if we become aware that, mm, do I need to think this? Do I need to think it in that way? So it's bringing light into the thought process is part of what we do. And then some of the things I wanted to do with you during this, um, this week was to look at the seven factors of awakening. And so these are factors which can help us on the path. And I thought it could be nice to look at them. I mean, but possibly from a modern perspective. Possibly not, from a, not at all from an Abhidharma traditional perspective, since I don't know the Abhidharma. But just from a modern perspective, what are these factors telling us? How can we look at them, cultivate them, experience them? So I will read out what they are, and then as I speak about them, I might kind of use once their Pali word in case you're interested. So the first one is Sati which is generally translated as mindfulness. Second one is Dhamma Vichaya, which is generally translated as investigation. Then you have Virya, 
which is energy. Then you have piti, P-I-T-I, which is joy. Then you have pasadi, which is generally serenity, samadhi, concentration, and upeka, equanimity. And so tonight, I like to look at the first two and possibly the third, but we'll see the time I have. So the first one is sati. So sati nowadays is known as mindfulness. But as Stephen was saying, mindfulness is a term which was taken out of the Bible to translate sati in the 1800, 1820. So be mindful. So mindfulness is, as a kind of for us in English, has a certain feel to it. Be mindful, you know? Depends, that's a different feeling. But actually sati, you could possibly more translate as attention in terms of the practice. It's in a way paying attention. So, I mean, of course, you could see mindfulness as a mind fully on something. So paying attention to something, being attentive. But also, it can mean, sati can mean recollected intention. I mean, this is the first literal meaning, because it means memory, to remember. And when we meditate, to me, what is fascinating is a moment you see, you are trying to be with, let's say, the listening, then you are somewhere else, and then the moment where you back to the listening in a way. And so it's kind of like that moment when you are, oh, yes, I am trying to do this. So it's that recollected intention. And that's why I think we, we put great emphasis on intentions in terms of the practice, because it's interesting how intention sets a certain energy. Intention sets a certain direction. So part, part of the sati is that recollected intention, which kind of, in a way, will help us to come back, not in a fighting way, but just suddenly, oh, yeah, I am trying to do this. And to me, that moment, I know it's a tiny moment, but in a way it's kind of like a little taste, tiny taste of awakening. Because awakening, I'll talk more about it another time, but awakening is really being here in a harmless way, in a kind way, in a wise and compassionate way. That's what awakening is about. So in a way when we are trying to meditate and suddenly, oh, back. But it's instant. You suddenly, there is this moment where we back to it. And that's sati, that's recollected intention. In that moment, we back to it. In that moment, we back to attention. But for that moment, we don't need to vilify the thought of, or the sensation or whatever takes us somewhere else. It's just what happens. It's just stuff. It doesn't mean that we need to be caught with it. We don't need to be hold on to it. 
That's where the recollected intention helps us not to be so stuck. And that's where you kind of create space. So that, oh, we see, we're back. Then we go away again and up, we see, and we're back. And as soon as we've seen it, we're back, unless the thing is a little sticky. And then, of course, it will be a little kind of, oops, I go there, then I come back, then I go there, I come back. But even then, it's interesting to just be aware, oh, yeah, that's sticky. Just be aware when the thoughts are light or when they're sticky. Just to know, oh, that's sticky. And just to see that. So, of course, the thought will take you more, but you still will come back time to time. And that moment is in a way one of the factors of awakening. But this uh, sati is also presence of mind. So I know we talk about this word being present. It doesn't mean that the present is sacred. So I think we have to be careful of this idea of this mythical present, which is special. You know, if I am present to this special present, then it should be special. No, 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 no. The reason we talk about presence of mind, being present, is not because the present is sacred, but because the present, which means, what do we mean by the present? We mean this present experience. It's a shortcut for that. This present experience my inner present experience meeting the outer present condition. That's what we're talking about, this whole experience right now. We can only do and be with it now, in this experience. Like the past, you can think about the past, but you cannot change the past. We can learn from it, but we cannot change it. We cannot do anything about the past. The future, I mean, we can prepare for the future, but we're not there yet. So in a way, the only place we can creatively engage is what I would call the moving present. Because the present is alive, is moving, it's kind of, you know, things happen, I hear, I see, I do, I move, people do see, etc. So it's moving. It's not a fixated present, it's a very alive present. So when we talk of presence of mind, is in a way trying to be more here, so that we can more creatively engage with what is going on, and because this is the only place we can, we can really do things. So that's why we talk of presence of mind. But what is Important with the mindfulness, because nowadays, I'm sure you're aware of it, and people are, ooh, some people think it's a great mind mindfulness, and then some people are some, some Buddhists, if you go on the internet, you have the dreaded Mac mindfulness. Mm -hmm. you know? Personally, I think, I mean, it's quite a nice, catchy title for an article, but I think one has to be careful. You know? But I think what... Are we saying when we talk of mindfulness? You have mindfulness, which is just referencing to being aware now. But then if we talk of sati in terms of factor of awakening, it's not any mindfulness. 
is not just about staring at reality. It's not just, yeah. It's not about becoming a mirror. So I reflect totally what is going on. But it's actually about a certain quality of mindfulness. So the mindfulness, the attention, the presence of mind we're talking about has actually ethical discernment. And one of the ethical discernment is what is wholesome, what is not wholesome, what is beneficial, what is not beneficial, what is kind, what is not kind, what is wise, what is not, what is compassionate, what is not compassionate. So basically the, the attention, the mindfulness we're talking about is caring and careful. So it's kind of a care, it's not a judging mindfulness, so that I'm, a, I'm like kind of, you know, always observing myself and passing judgment. Because sometimes I used to live in a Buddhist community and we used to accuse each other. You are not mindful. You are not compassionate. You know, it's kind of like, then you use a term to accuse each other. I think this is a little dangerous. So you can do the same to yourself. I am not mindful. I must be mindful. But it's kind of a, a caring approach. We're kind of caring about ourselves and others. And so we bring this attentive caring, which is also careful. Careful because we consider conditions. There are many different conditions. And so really kind of being careful and caring. That's what this idea of sati, and to me, that's why it's a factor of awakening. Because awakening is about wisdom and compassion. So it's not just that we can see more, but it's more that we can creatively engage in a caring and careful way with the condition we find ourselves in, with the people we are relating to in the environment in the world. So it's kind of having that connotation. So you couldn't really say it has a heartful quality, a certain emotional quality, this sati, this attention. And what is interesting also is that in one text, the Buddha said the difference between having sati, doing something with sati or not, is that if there is no mindfulness or no caring and careful attention, then our mind is limited. But if we have sati, if we have this caring, careful attention, the mind is limitless. That's interesting. So it's kind of a, a, a mindfulness which is spacious. So with this kind of idea of spaciousness, of openness. So that it's a mindfulness which is not like to, that's why I talk again and again about this. It's not about becoming more self-conscious than we are already. That's really not about that. But actually it's about becoming more conscious of the conditions we find ourselves in, in a caring and careful way. So actually, 
the self, and we'll talk more about this later when I'll talk about identity, the self dissolves, this self-centeredness dissolves in this caring, careful attention. That's why it's a factor of awakening. Then the next one, is Dhamma Vichaya, which basically is investigation of the Dhamma, basically investigation of what arises and passes away. And so, which kind of, in a way, you think attention, and then later on you'll see there is all these three, which are about calmness, equanimity. And so often it gives the impression that the meditation is quite passive, that we're supposed to be passive. But actually, this is a very important factor of awakening, dhamma vichaya, which is investigation, exploration, searching, inquiring, examining. So basically, this is about using the brightness of the mind, the ability we have to explore, to investigate, and that is very important in terms of the practice. That yes, later on, I'll talk about the concentration. Yes, we use anchoring. And so we anchor in the sound or in loving kindness or in the body, etc., or in a question. So the anchoring is part of the paying attention. We need the anchoring to be able to, be, to cultivate a steady, attention. But this is not just about calming. I think in order to transform, we need to have this exploration, what I would call experiential inquiry. So we investigate, we explore, we examine, but not in a judging way, but more in a curious way. To me, this is what, one of the first things that really, in a way, convinced me of the, of the meditation power, was when suddenly I really, really saw my thought. And what I discovered was that they were all about me. And I thought, wait a minute, you know. And, it's, and so it was like, before, it was like I was a thought. I was kind of like uh, identical with the thought. I did not kind of question the thought or I was the thought. I was kind of just kind of. Then suddenly it was like there was this bright light and I saw, oh, this is what I am thinking. And it's about me, you know? And I thought, oh, that's what's going on. So investigation is actually putting a bright light on something and saying, ah, yeah, that's what's happening. And so not to define it, oh, this is terrible, but this is not so helpful. If your intention is to be compassionate, you need to kind of, you know, diminish a little bit this me, me, me thing. So I was able to see, oh, yeah, you know, I do this. Then I could see, oh yes, everybody else do it too, <laughs> you know. And of course, we have to do it to a degree because, you know, 
I mean, we have to take over ourselves, you know. But what is a degree? Then I, I think it was like 95%. Now I think it's really gone down a lot, you know. <laughs> then sometimes you see yourself back at 95. I am like that with Q or with travel, wanting to be the first and this. And then I see, oop, 95 here, you know. <laughs> Sometimes you are in a train and lots of people, and then you give your place and you feel, oh, 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 yes, you know, I am a nice, compassionate person. Yes, yes, yes. And then you see yourself, you know, kind of, kind of being the first in the queue. And so you think, oh. So that's what is also interesting, to see how it goes, you know, certain condition helps us to be more in the 50%. And then certain conditions will bring us back to the 95. So it's kind of also interesting to watch that, to investigate. What are the conditions that helps me to be compassionate? What are the conditions that help me to be stable? What are the thoughts that helps me to be clearer or not? So it's kind of like investigating the different aspect of our experience. So in terms of the body, in terms of the mind, in terms of the emotion, in terms of our relationship, but also, but I'll talk more about this later, in terms of others for themselves. That I think is a big kind of an investigation that also needs to be worked with about do I see the world just through myself, which I'm a little stuck with anyway, or can I also see the world where it is, the person where they are? And we can explore that more later when we talk about identity. So investigation, in terms of the practice, one of the things we can easily do is impermanence, change. I know it sounds kind of, you know, you know, how is that going to awaken me? But I think in daily life, this can be the cause, the source of a lot of small opening, small awakening, small letting go. When instead of immediately deciding this is terrible, this is going to be like that forever after. I mean, this may be, I don't know if that's what you thought. I have, you know, I am agitated, or I'm sleepy, or I have pain, and, it's going, and if it's going to be like this the whole week, this is going to be terrible. And I can, I hopefully, I can guarantee that it's going to change in different ways. And to me, this is really, it makes such a big difference in daily life. When you experience something, either in going into this quick, permanentizing, generalizing, it's always like this, it will never change. Then to bring this Dharma Vichaya, investigation of the Dharma, with this, this question, how long is this going to last? And then it can be fun to kind of see how long is this going to last. And so sometimes you can just observe it, and sometimes you can transform it. 
That's what I'm kind of working with at the moment, with my mother who is losing her memory. And so I might repeat things several times, or I think she got it and she did not get it. And then sometimes I'm tired or whatever, and then I can see my voice rising. And then now I just look, oh, bring it down. You know, and it's very interesting to, to see, do I let myself be taken over? Or do I let, just come back. Investigation of the Dharma is just a voice rising. Does it have to continue to rise? Not necessarily, because it's not going to help her, because if I raise my voice, she's going to have even less memory. And it's very interesting, that moment, that kind of decision, that exploration. Do I need to continue to do this in this way? So it's really an experiential inquiry. It doesn't mean that you analyze for 10 minutes, should I do this or that? It's to see that in a way, to, it gives us a choice, this dhamma vichaya. Instead of feeling stuck, that's the way it is, and this is it. It's kind of, oh, can I change this? Can I be differently with this? Can I play with this? Can I? And that's very interesting, this exploration. So it's not just about being calm. It's also about investigation, being curious about what is going on. What am I thinking, feeling? What is the other person thinking, feeling? What is my effect on the other person? How can I creatively engage with this? And so in terms of the practice, it's really you can be aware of, for example, change in two different ways. In the thing itself, like we could be aware that the sound arose and passed away, some sound changed within themselves. But also we can be aware of the change in the background. Like after the, the, the first sitting in the afternoon, I was very aware that by the end of the sitting, I was back here. I was awake again. So I could see that, you know, it changed. It had different kind of, uh, throughout the sitting, it was changing. And then in a way that continue with the faith to be aware of change. So aware of change is not analysis as much as being in the experience when something is there and then knowing it when it is not there. Oh, it's finished. Or when we have some pain and then it's gone. Or we don't have it and then suddenly it's there. I mean, once I did a retreat and I had lots of stomach pain. And I could see two things, that when I sat, I could see the pain coming and going, so it was not there all the time, it was not permanent. But I could also see that if I went to lie down, or if I went to walk, I would have less pain. So there is kind of the change within itself, and there is also the change according to the condition we might creatively bring in. So that's what I would like to, I wanted to mention in terms of this uh, two factor, sati, this caring, careful attention, and then dhamma vichaya, this investigation. And I think for the, for the start, we could start just with being aware of change. And then later on, 
we can talk more about identity and conditionality in terms of that. So that's what I wanted uh, to say tonight. Are there any questions or comments? We have about a few minutes for that. No, no, it's, it's, it's to see that that's why I think the seven factors comes together. It's not just one thing which are going to help us, kind of in a way, to dissolve the obstacle to awakening. But I think sati is kind of like, you know, in a way, setting, setting the scene, seeing clearly, and then kind of, kind of also the, the settling, the stuff. There is different things there. But no, you, you expressed it well, yeah. Okay, so maybe we can uh, now do some uh, walking meditation. And I wanted to say something about walking meditation, actually. That there are different types of walking meditation. You can either do the very slow walking meditation. You can do the medium-slow walking meditation, generally back and forth. Or you can do the ordinary pace walking meditation, but then you need to do that on a longer distance, like maybe going around the building or going around the orchard. And it's very important for you to find the right pace for you. You might see somebody and they might be walking very slowly and you think, ooh, should I do this? You can try and it might suit you or it might not. And so I think it's very important in the same way when we sit, we can use different cushions, chairs, everything like that. And in the walking also to explore. Do, is it helpful to walk slowly? Is it better for me to walk at a good pace so that I can move the energy more? So also explore with the walking. And the walking, what is interesting with the walking is that it's in movement, but also there are things around you. And so then you can have sati and dhamma vichaya together there. When you have the attention, so you generally can start with the body as an anchor. But then you can play with the foreground and the background. So you can start with the body, and then you can open to sounds. And then you can go back to the body. Or you can play with vision. Because generally we have very quick reaction to what we see. Hmm, I like this, or oh, I don't like that. What about this? <laughs> and then it's very interesting. Can I see something? Can I see it very clearly? Can I also see how it changes? I mean, especially with the light we have at the moment. How you think you're seeing something and then different light, it looks different. So we can see how things change, what we see. And also, what is our relationship to when we see something? How we comment or can we just be with it? The tree the grasses, a rabbit, or somebody else. And so can we 
play with all these different elements when we do the walking meditation? Can we be pay attention to the body, or we pay attention to the sun, or we pay attention to what we see, or we pay attention to what we smell? Because that we're going to find in our daily life. And very quickly, this, all this contact can take us here and there in different ways. And so to really see the walking, especially when it's such a nice weather, to see how we can use a walking meditation. Of course, you don't have to do the 45 minutes if it's too tiring for you. But a little bit, walking a little bit outside, and then playing with this different anchor, what I pay attention to, and how I notice, how it's changed, and things of that nature. So, thank you. And then we meet back here at uh, quarter to eight, two nine. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.